actually finishing up a lesson from last week. Was there anybody that needed a handout from last week? I know we had a good group here. Anybody need a handout this morning? All right. I got a few extras here, so thank you, Pastor. Mrs. DeFord over here needed one, and then Calderon's back there. <clears throat> oh, I do. Yep. Thank you. <clears throat> All right, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 this morning, if you will. I know we're studying the book of Proverbs, but we're going to just start here as a, a quick little launching point. We've been talking about, again, the, some thoughts about wisdom, studying through the book of Proverbs on some key topics of walking wisely in a foolish world. And so again, this morning, we'll be back uh, primarily in the book of Proverbs, and we've been on the subject last week, and we'll finish up this week on the, the thought of hard work. What, is, what does Solomon give us as far as some advice and some wisdom about hard work and the opposite of hard work? And uh, what does that look like? What are the, what are the outcomes and, and so forth of, of hard work and, and, and not putting in hard work? But 2 Thessalonians 3.10 um, uh, he says this, for even, this is Paul writing, he says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. And that was one of our points last week, is if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. And uh, that doesn't mean that you have to be working 24-7 in order to earn a meal or something like that. There's not a certain quota that you have to meet to earn a meal. It's a principle or it's a... It's, it's just a, a thought around, um, you know, if you're not one to labor, you probably shouldn't constantly be benefiting from eating from other people's labor. Um, you, ought to, you ought to be able to eat from your own labor, yeah. is, is basically what the principle is, and not just be uh, mooching off of people all the time. And, and really, that's a great concept that uh, our society, by and large, is starting to lose out on. It's, it's, what are you going to give me, what are you going to give me, what are you going to give me, and I don't want to have to do too much for it. And, uh, and so, anyways, just a reminder there, if, if, he says, if you, should, if you don't work, neither should he eat. And let's just do a quick run through this morning, I'll get you caught up, and uh, again, just a reminder, we did a little bit of a, a game there, you'll see at the end of your handout, there's some blanks, and you'll see up on the screen certain letters that are in green. So as they come up in green in the order that they're on there, you put them in the order in the blanks so it's not like it's jumbled and then you got to figure it out. It's in order. And so I'll give you these uh, first several uh, before we uh, get to our final points this morning and kind of wrap up for this week. The foundation of work. We talked about where did work come from? And so we reminded ourselves that God himself demonstrated work in his creation. In the beginning, God created. That's an action word. It's an activity. It was labor. And we talked about the fact that God could have just spoke it in one day, in one word, earth could have been here, everything, but he demonstrated the idea of a sustained amount of time of work. He set a pattern for us, and he set a pattern of six days, and then on the seventh he rested. And so, you know, we get a general pattern from, from God himself on what work is. And, and if God is willing to demonstrate it, that ought to mean that it's okay for us to work, and it's good for us to work. 
So you can see there the letter G is green. All right. God demands work from his creation. And again, we reminded ourselves of what he commanded of Adam and Eve. He commanded Adam to name the animals in the garden. He commanded Adam and Eve to multiply, subdue, replenish, have dominion over the earth that is around them. And at the time, it was a perfect garden. They weren't, they weren't marred by sin yet. They weren't dealing with the pains and sorrows and travails of work, which came because of sin. Work in itself was a good, pure, holy thing to do. It, God, God wanted them to work because that was what God did. And the Bible says that God fellowshiped with them in the garden. It's almost as if God was like, hey, while you're working, that's a time for us to fellowship. It's just, this was a perfect communion for God, was this still an idea of work. It's man that caused work to be difficult. You know, we cause work to be difficult because of our sin. And now our sin nature, we make things harder than they need to be. We make things more uh, 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 difficult and, 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 and overbearing. And then he says, God delights in the work of his creation. And we can just remind ourselves that he says, uh, that he said everything was very good. God looked on not only his work, but then he looked on the work that he had told man to do. And he said, it is all very good. God delights in the work of his creation. He delights in seeing his creation, especially man, uh, complete the work that God has called us to do and put us out here to do and to have dominion and to replenish. God finds delight. In that. So here you have your first four letters. G-O-D spells God, and then B. <clears throat> and that's all I will give you. You gotta catch the rest yourself. You gotta catch the rest yourself. You know, I was thinking, I even just Pastor and I were talking real quick on Wednesday night, and um, just this thought about work, you know, the perfect example, besides God Himself demonstrating in creation. But the perfect example of work that we ought to follow is, is Christ himself, right? You know, Christ, when he came to the earth, didn't come in order to be catered to, in order to live off of the labor of other people, in order to uh, expect people to do to him and to give to him. and to No, 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 he came to minister himself. He came to work. It says that he came to, it was about his father's business. And then even on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. Well, what was finished? The work. The work, the labor. And Jesus' whole ministry was about, he even himself was like, I don't even have a place to lay my head. Not that Jesus never slept. Didn't mean that Jesus didn't eat. It didn't mean that Jesus didn't partake in those things. But Jesus was about labor. He was about work. And that greatest work, the work on the cross, is something we ought to uh, just, you know, again, keep in mind as we, as we labor, we say, I'm laboring not... For myself as much to, I'm laboring because I'm trying to replicate Jesus Christ. Look at what the labor he did, the greatest labor he did for me. Boy, whatever God puts in my path, I ought to just be able to work at it and, 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 and labor in it. Him dying on the cross for us, dying for our sins. Uh, there's no work that we could do that will ever match the work uh, that Christ did for us. And so just a, again, just another quick reminder about the example that is before us. Let's talk about the facets of work, some facets of work that we get out of the book of Proverbs. <clears throat> Don't oversleep. We talked about this last week. Don't oversleep. We see this in, in these references up here. We won't read all of them. Uh, but in chapter 6 of Proverbs, he talks about, go to the ant, thou sluggard. He's giving the ant as an example because the ant, he says, was one that would go out when it was time for harvest and it would harvest it in because there would be a time when they could not harvest. 
But he says that, uh, he basically says, don't, be the, don't give sleep to thine eyes or slumber to thine eyelids. Just deliver thyself from uh, the hand of the hunter as the bird from the hand of the fowler. He's basically saying, how long are you going to sleep? When are you going to get out of your sleep? Why? Because the sluggard is one that it's time of harvest and they sleep through it. And then they sleep through it and they wake up in the winter and they say, oh, I don't have anything. They sleep through the opportunities. They, they sleep through the seasons of gain. They sleep through the, the opportunities of life to actually uh, get gain and to get uh, prosperity and to get blessing. And they just eh, sleep through it. I was reading a little bit. How many of you have ever slept too much? You ever sleep too much where you wake up and you're just like, I feel more tired than I did when I went to bed. You know, there's actually some scientific analysis to that, and, and I won't get all into it, but... It is said that, uh, you know, if you sleep too much, you get into where there's like six phases of sleep. And I think four, and f- four to five is where you get into that REM sleep. And they say that when you sleep too long, you end up getting stuck in one of those phases for too long. And those phases is actually where it, it, when you wake up, you tend to be groggy. You can tend to be actually lethargic. And I started thinking, I thought, you know, Solomon is talking about people that in just life in general... They tend to just sleep too long, and then when they get up, it's like, I don't have any energy to go about this anyway, so then I might as well just go back to sleep. You know, it's like this cycle of just no energy, lack of activity. And, and so, you know, it's, hey, get enough sleep and enough rest that's healthy for you, but get back to being active. Don't sleep through the opportunities of your life. Don't, don't sleep through those moments to uh, train your kids and to be involved with your kids. Don't sleep through the things of, of with your spouse while you have time to build that relationship. And, and don't, don't, don't sleep through the opportunities with the vocation God's given you to make a difference and to influence for Christ and to be a salt for, and a light for Christ. Hey, don't sleep through those opportunities and then wake up someday and say, wow, look at the years I lost or look at the moments I lost because I slept through it. Solomon's saying, hey, wake up, look at the harvest, take advantage of when the harvest is there and go out and, and get it. Look at the ant, thou sluggard, and be wise. Consider her ways and be wise. Uh, Proverbs twenty thirteen says, love not sleep lest thou come to poverty. Again, the idea is that, you know, people are these, you know, the sluggard is one that just misses out on, on getting gain when he can get gain. And now all of a sudden he's impoverished. He's, he's got lack. He's wanting. The second thought here are there are two choices. And I tried to find some middle ground. I tried to find a verse where Solomon says, listen, sometimes it's okay to be lazy. And I didn't find any. You know, Solomon basically says there's a way that is, he says this, the way of the slothful man is a hedge of thorns. It's just rough. If you're a slothful person, things just are going to tend to be rough. Man, paying my bills is rough. Man, making, making, uh, uh, just being happy with what I'm doing is rough or just having energy is rough or just making this relationship work is rough. Well, yeah, a slothful person is going to have a hedge of thorns. They're just going to have some thorny, rough road ahead of them. But he says, the way of the righteous is made plain. Now, the way of the righteous doesn't mean that, oh, then, man, the money just is flowing or, or everything just comes easy. That's not what he's saying. It's just that it, it's more, it's clear. It's clear what is needed. It's clear what is required of you. It's clear of what way you're going and what you need to do. You don't have so much obstacles and things in your way. So it's either you're a slothful person or you're a righteous person, which would 
uh, imply diligent, not slothful. You're not going to find someone in, in the middle. The third thought, excuse me, the third thought we said was excuses, excuses, excuses. The slothful person tends to have excuses for everything. And we talked about the two extremes. In Proverbs 20, verse 4, the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. The reason of the cold. Listen, in Arizona, we don't really know what it means to not be able to work because it's cold. I mean, we, we can still find the excuse to not want to go out and like mow the yard or like pick up the paper out front because it's too cold, you know. So we'll wait like 15 minutes and it warms up enough, you know. I mean, we, don't, we really don't know what it's like to be cold. But Solomon isn't talking about like Texas winter storm here where your pipes are frozen, you've got no water, like you, you just can't work, you've got no power. He's talking about just cold, just the temperature is cold. And, and, and the slothful man says, no, can't labor. While everybody else is still dealing with the cold, as Pastor said last week, they're out there harvesting, they're out there earning their living while they can, even despite the cold. But the slothful man will say, it's just not the right temperature for me. In the right conditions, I'll get out and do something. In the right conditions, I'll finally labor. If everything is perfect, then uh, I'll, I'll come to church. Or I'll, if everything's perfect, I'll do this. Or if everything's perfect, uh, then I'll start serving. Or whatever it might be. Excuses. And then you go the other extreme. In Proverbs 22, it says, The slothful man say, say it, there's a lion without, and I will be slain in the streets. And again, we talked about it, but I don't think it was a prevalent uh, sighting of lions in the streets of, of Israel. Uh, back in Solomon's day. I don't think they would all walk down the street and have to have lion spray and all sorts of weaponry with them to protect themselves from lions. Um, anybody ever seen the old like um, uh, kid show, The Parent Trap? You know, and they go camping with the soon-to-be stepmother and they don't like her, so they're trying to like scare her from marrying into the family. And so they tell her, they start clapping these sticks together. Anybody remember that scene? And they're clapping those sticks together. She's like, what are you doing? There's mountain lions up here. So the, they got the stepmom walking around the woods doing this, and the girls are just laughing at it. It's really mean, actually. But, you know, I doubt, I doubt Israel had to do that, right? Like, I got to go work today, so I better scare off the lions. But a slothful man will either go to the extreme of just the most petty reasons to not want to work, or they go to the extreme reasons. If, if I walk out that door, like this earthquake is going to, you know, swallow me up or something. They just come to an extreme of everybody's going to hate me at work and everybody's going to laugh at me and everybody's going to blah, 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 whatever it might be. And they go to these extremes. And, uh, and Solomon's saying, that's a slothful person. There are legitimate reasons why you probably couldn't go to work for a day or that your labor would have to cease for a little while, health reasons or, uh, or other things that come up. That, that's... It, Solomon's not talking about having discretion of knowing, okay, today's probably not a day for me to get this, this work done, but then you know what, I'm gonna, I'll do it tomorrow, and then you follow through and do it tomorrow. He's not talking about planning and using discretion and being prudent with what, you, what your time gives you. He's talking about that in your heart of hearts, you know your reasons for not laboring. And he's saying a sluggard will come up with any type of excuse to not want to labor. Don't work, don't eat. We read 2 Thessalonians 3.10 uh, this morning. Here in uh, Proverbs, Solomon gives us just a couple thoughts. 
He says, He that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread, but he that followeth vain persons is void of understanding. The idea is that he that goes out and labors in his field is going to be satisfied with the bread that he gets from that. A man shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the recompense of a man's hand shall be rendered unto him. Solomon's just saying this, look, when you labor, you get to reap the benefits of that labor. There, there's a benefit to the labor that you'll get to eat from, that you'll get to enjoy. And again, that doesn't just mean food. It doesn't just mean work as far as a vocation. That's in any facet of life that you have to labor, um, you know, in relationships and in, uh, in, in all sorts of things that you've got to put work into. He says you get to uh, the recompense or the reward is rendered unto you from your own hands in what you do. He says, The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. And, and again, it's not saying promised prosperity and things like that. That's not what we would uh, 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 blow that up to mean. It just means that the soul of the diligent shall be made fat and that he shall be nourished. He shall have what he needs. But the soul of the sluggard, he desires. It means... He sits there and he says, I really want something, but he's not willing to work for it, and so he has nothing. He's not willing to labor for it. We talked about this. Don't talk about do. Don't talk about do it. The idea of procrastination. Anybody procrastinated all this last week? <laughs> uh, I think we all do uh, more often than we want to. Mark Twain said, never put off till tomorrow what may be one day after tomorrow. Just as well, right? It says in Proverbs 14, 23, In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth to punery, which is the idea of poverty. He just says, look, uh, the, 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 the labor is where the profit is at, not in the talking about the labor. Like, I'm going to get this done. If you just keep talking about it and it doesn't get done, you're impoverished in that area. Like you have nothing, right? It just means that you're empty of anything. There's no gain in that because all you did was talk about it. The profit is in the actual labor. Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the slothful killeth him for his hands refuse to labor. His desire it just burns within him to where it's, it's slowly destroying him and, and, and killing him and killing his activity and killing his, his delight and whatever it might be, for his hands refuse to labor. I really, really, really want this, but I am not going to go out and do the work for it. I was reminded of the book of James. James is almost like a New Testament Proverbs. If you read the book of James, James almost writes in a proverbial way in some of the things that he talks about. He gives all this, these amounts of wisdom. He talks about wisdom quite a bit in the book. But James himself says what? Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Not hearers only, but be doers. Paul himself put an emphasis on doing. He says, whatsoever you have learned and seen and heard of me, do. Right? Don't just stop. Okay, cool, you've seen what I've done. And you've learned about it. And you've heard me talk about it. And you've witnessed it. And you've, and you've seen the benefits of it. and all that. that doesn't matter at the end of the day. Go out and do it. So the idea is just get off the, 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 the soapbox of talking and be doing. Work first, get paid later. That's kind of adverse to our current society. Again, we kind of talked about this, but, you know, people, it's like, I want a big payday up front. I want a big payday for a little bit of work. 
Um, I'm not going to get all into the politics around a $15 minimum wage, but again, it won't stop at $15 then. Then it's got to get to $20. Then it's got to get to $25. Then it's got to be $30 to to do what, if a common sense person would say, is a menial task, is a lower level effort job. And there's a benefit for those types of jobs to train people and to let people experience uh, income and money. But nobody says go to college and get a degree or, or, or go learn a skill and then stay at an entry-level job. The idea is to move up. You keep raising minimum wage, you take away people's incentive to actually work and put in more effort. No, no, no. I want to do as basic of a job as I can get, but I want you to pay me as much as you pay someone else that is doing much harder work, that is doing much harder, taking much harder thought and, 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 and uh, creativity and invention and, and, and whatever it might be. We just got this get paid now mentality. Paul or uh, Solomon is saying, uh, you know, Proverbs 10 verse 4, he says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. The diligent person, the person that is determined, is, 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 has, has, uh, 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 stays on track with getting things completed. The diligent person that doesn't uh, uh, let things go by, they, they, again, the idea is determined. They just keep at something. Hey, they're going to eventually be made rich. And again, this isn't a dollar sign rich. This is just rich and a blessing that they will have what they need and above what they need. The hand of the diligent. Proverbs 13, 11 says, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. You know, the unfortunate part about just raising minimum wage or just giving people money is that it quickly goes away because they didn't have to earn it. They're not going to increase by that. They're not going to grow in it. They're not going to learn anything from it. They're not going to develop from it. They're not going to gain an extra incentive to go out and do more because of it when it's just given to them by vanity. But he says labor causes it to increase. When you labor, it gives you an extra motivation to, wow, look what I got from that labor. I'm going to go do that again. Or maybe if I try a little bit harder, I could probably get some more. And, 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 and it, it benefits all sorts of other things by laboring. But again, the, the slack hand or the wealth that's gotten by vanity, it just diminishes. It doesn't have that increase and that benefit to it that it does from laboring. The next thought here, wasted resources. Wasted resources. A slothful person wastes, wastes the resources that are giving to the, given to them. Proverbs chapter 12, The slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. He's just saying this, that a slothful person, even when they do some effort and there's like a benefit from it or there's an increase, they look at it like, I don't really even care. It's, it doesn't have any value to them. They're just lazy about it. They're just, it's like, I finally went out and I, I shot the arrow and I killed something, but I don't want to do the work to actually drag it back and still do all the work to do all the things I need to do for that. So they don't even take it. They just leave. But the substance of a diligent man is precious. It means that someone that's diligent, they understand what the blessing is from their labor and it's precious to them. It has value to them. And again, we're not talking just about money. You know, when you put labor into your marriage, you put work into your marriage, it becomes precious what comes out of your marriage. When you put labor into raising your kids and you actually say, I'm going to do the work. 
I know it's going to take some effort, and I know it's not, it's not easy, but I'm going to do the work. It becomes precious. There's, there's, there's increase and gain and, and, and substance that comes from that that is precious. But the slothful person won't experience that. They won't see that. Thomas Edison, I, I read this last week, but he said, we often miss opportunities because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. It looks like it's too difficult, or it looks like I'm going to have to put in a lot of effort, so we just kind of push away those opportunities when there's a, a, a substance to be had that's precious there. So now we're on to, I think, our last four thoughts here. I hope you've caught all these green letters here and up to date. Let me just give you these last ones. Those who work, call the shots. Those who work, call the shots. Does anybody want to listen to someone that doesn't actually do the work? You know what I found being in management and leadership uh, throughout the years at, at my company and stuff? Um, you know who people really despise the most as leaders is the leaders that wouldn't get down and couldn't do the work that they were asking you to do. And not that they expect you to do it because you're given responsibilities. You have other things to do. But the leader that at least couldn't say, I can come down that I can do it. And every once in a while, demonstrate it. Let me get down here and do it with you. Let, let, me, let me get involved. Those types, of, those types of leaders that just said, that's below me or I'm not going to do the work. They were despised. People, people couldn't stand someone that wasn't willing to do the work. You know, those who do the work uh, uh, ultimately call the shots. You don't have the uh, lazy people. And I'll say this, you don't have lazy people that run companies. And what I mean by that is, at least in that facet, they didn't get to the point of becoming a CEO, CEO of a company by just being lazy. Now, they might be lazy and slothful in other areas of their life. I'm not saying they don't have lazy tendencies. But you're, you're not going to generally find someone that can now manage, a, especially a good-sized business, by, by that, that they just sat on their hands and somehow just gave, someone gave them that position. It's not going to happen. They had to demonstrate, in order to get to that position, they had to demonstrate a whole lot of work. A whole lot of work. And so you know what? You get put in a position of authority. Proverbs 12, 24. If you get to the book of Proverbs here, these are some new verses. But Proverbs 12, 24 says, The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. You know the slothful person? What Solomon is just saying is that, in general... The slothful person is always going to be looking up to someone else. They're always going to be under, under someone else's servitude. Why? Well, first of all, because they won't take initiative and just go get something done on their own. So you know what? They rely on someone else to basically drive them. They rely on someone else to get them to finally do something. They rely on someone else to motivate them. They rely on someone else. And those, I'll just tell you, those are like the worst people to work with, right? You're like, come on, just... Be an adult. You know you got to get a job done. Go get it done. Like, I don't want to have to drag you along. But you know what? Those people that have to be dragged along will always be dragged along. They'll be under tribute. But the, 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 the hand of the diligent shall bear rule. The idea Solomon is just saying is that, hey, those that tend to be diligent and tend to, to be determined and take initiative, they're going to have influence. They're going to have authority. They're going to have people that will they'll, they'll be under them, that will be uh, under their uh, rule. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine, just a few chapters over. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. He says, "Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men." Solomon again, I think, is just bringing about this thought. He says, "You see a man that's diligent in his work. 
and he's diligent in his business and his labor and, he, and he's determined and he keeps at it and he's not slothful, but he's diligent. He is going to have influence before important people. He's going to have influence. He's going to have say. He's going to have respect and honor before uh, 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 honorable people and, and people of authority. He's going to have that versus standing before mean men and just people that could care less and people that don't have any respect, people that don't have any honor. He says, no, if you're diligent about your business, you'll have influence. You'll have uh, uh, some, some, some influence among kings and honorable people and people of authority. People at work are always, you know, will say things like, why don't I ever get positions of leadership? And you know what? There's probably a lot of different reasons, but sometimes you can come back to just something as simple as your work ethic. And you can look at them and say, you know what? You're not, you, you just don't put in the work. You don't put in the effort. You just, you'll do a little bit and say that you think that deserves this when there's so much here that you just leave and you don't do. And yet they want to call the shots. Hey, give me a nice promotion. Give me a nice position. Look, do the work. And at the end of the day, if God, the Bible says God is the one who promotes. God is the one who, hey, God will give you the position you need to have. But even if it's not in a position, there is still influence in other areas of your life that I believe God can give you if you're just a diligent person, diligent about the work that God gives you. The next thought here, just one verse we'll look at real quick. But laziness leaves a bitter taste. Laziness is a bitter pill. I actually changed my notes. I didn't change that. But a bitter pill. Proverbs 10.26. Proverbs 10.26, he says this. As vinegar to the teeth and as smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to them that send him. Anybody like to drink just straight up vinegar? So the Henrys, uh, when I first got, we first got our dog last year. This dog climbs on everything. If you leave a chair out from the table, you'll come in the room and he'll be up on top of the table, just like standing there. Um, it doesn't matter. He climbs on top of the toilet. Uh, he, he climbs on everything. He just he likes to climb up on stuff. And so I was like, the main thing was the counter. He'd always pull his paws up and then he would keep reaching for things. Like He like knew what was in that little cup that's up there, like a piece of chocolate or something. And so the Henrys were like, just get a squirt bottle and put some vinegar and a little bit of water in that and just spray it in his face. You know what? We did that. And it, and it does, it has its effect. He hates that squirt bottle. He hates that squirt bottle. But I think my kids got a little bit more excited about just squirting him in the face with it because he's, he'd go all crazy and he'd start like, you know, he'd have to try to snort it out and just, you know, he'd just get a little... We just do Benadryl, brother. They just go to sleep. So, <laughs> no, just kidding. No, um, but vinegar just has this bitterness to it, right? It just it just pushes you away. Like you just, I don't want to be around. And then what would happen is our kitchen or our living room would smell like that, because we'll chase him down, man. He'll take something, and we're like, get him. We're all tackling him, and then we're like, hold his face. <laughs> And then it's all over your arm, it's all over his face, and then he gets up and he goes like this, and they're like, oh, it's on the couch! You know, it's everywhere. And so, uh, but then you're, you're like, oh, we got to leave the room for a little bit. Like, you got to let this air out, open the doors, do something, because he could just smell it. And it's so bitter. You know, that same thought is what Solomon says, is what it's like to send a sluggard, to send a slothful man to do something, it just leaves a bitter taste. Smoke in the eyes. You ever had smoke in your eyes sitting around a campfire or something? 
You get a little too close to that smoke and your eyes immediately water and they burn and they're irritated. He says that's what it's like for someone to have to deal with a slothful man. To him that sends him, you know, for him that, that has some authority and says, hey, go get this done, and you find out that the guy's just being lazy about it, it's just that bitter, nasty taste uh, that's left in your mouth. And oftentimes it causes you to say what? <laughs> I'm not working with you again. Or I won't be sending you for that task. And so, again, just a good thought for us of what kind of taste do we leave in the, in the mouth of someone tells us, hey, I need help with this, or I need this to be done, and we say, yeah, I'll help you with that. Well, what kind of effort do we put into it? Are we doing our best? Are we putting everything we've got into it? Are we being diligent, or do we do a half-hearted effort and just kind of throw something back at them and then say, here you go, and uh, just be thankful I gave you my time, or whatever it might be, and you just potentially leave this bitter taste we ought to not be like that. The next one, idle hands equals poor conduct. Idle hands. We, we know the, 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 the uh, social proverb that idle hands is what? The devil's playground. Is that what it is? You know, when you're just kind of sitting around and doing nothing, that's when you tend to do something, but not something you probably should be doing. Um, idle hands. Proverbs 10, 16 says, The labor of the righteous tendeth to life, but the fruit of the wicked to sin. He's saying the labor of the righteous, the work of the righteous tendeth to good things, life, growth, blessing, but the fruit of the wicked to sin. And you could, again, equate a slothful person to, to that of the wicked. Their fruit is more to sin. Proverbs 19.15 says, Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. An idle soul shall suffer hunger. Proverbs 19.24, Slothful man hideth his hand in his bosom, and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Again, just this idea of not willing to labor, just letting his hands be idle, and it just leads to, to bad things. It leads to... Uh, uh, fruit that is uh, of wickedness or of sin. It leads to suffering hunger. It leads to uh, uh, ultimate just, just no effort. I can't even bring my, ma- my hand to my mouth. I just can't even get to, to get to that. And I just, idle hands. We ought to be, you know, as much as we can, stay busy, stay active, doing something, being diligent about something. <clears throat> and then the last thought here, real quick, motives matter in our labor. Motives matter. There's a verse here. Turn to Proverbs 16. I thought this verse was pretty interesting, and I had to kind of study it a little bit to uh, maybe just understand it and, and, and get a, a good understanding of it. Look at verse number uh, or chapter 16, verse number 26. He says this, He that laboreth laboreth for himself, for his mouth craveth, craveth it of him. You know, when I first read that, I thought of it as being a negative. I thought, oh, this must be a verse that's related to, like, selfishness or pride. You know, he's laboring for himself because his mouth craveth it. But you know what? The more I read it and the more I really thought about it, and then, you know, as I kind of studied what maybe some other people thought about it, and I just tried to get a good sense for it, I think it makes sense. What he's saying is that when you labor, your labor is for yourself because your mouth craves it. That means your mouth has needs. And so you go to labor to, to t- take care of your needs. You don't labor to take care of the needs of someone else. 
you don't labor, it kind of goes against the whole communal labor uh, 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 process of we all work so that we all feed each other. That, that's, not, that's not what Solomon's getting at. Solomon is saying, you want to eat, you labor. And so he's saying, he that laboreth, laboreth for himself. And that's not a bad motive to go out and say, hey, I got to provide for my family. So you know what? I got to go out and labor. Why? Because I got mouths craving it in the house. I got needs in the house that are craving this. I've got uh, responsibilities that are craving, so I got to go labor for myself. That, that's, a, that's an okay motive. And it doesn't mean that there's not cravings of, of other people uh, that we are, have a responsibility towards or like a church that we say, hey, my labor helps me satisfy that craving as well because that's a craving that I'm held responsible for. But he's just saying, he that laboreth, laboreth for himself. He labors because he knows he needs it. He knows that there's profit in it. He knows that there's a, 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 a bounty from his labor that will take care of the cravings of his mouth. Again, it goes to this whole uh, thinking about like a welfare state or a state of, you know, there's, there's a, a, a certain percentage that work while a certain percentage don't work, but those that do work are supposed to feed those that don't work. Hey, there's an element of, um, Pastor and I were, again, kind of talking about this. You know, if more people just took initiative to say, out of kindness and out of generosity and out of compassion, Part of my labor, I will, I, I will just, out of generosity, help with the cravings of other people. Less government would have to do that. If, if, if people took it upon themselves to say, part of my responsibility is to look out for the poor. You know why we know that? Because Jesus himself said we ought to do that. And there's a lot that even Solomon says about looking after the poor. If people actually understood that that was a craving that I actually have responsibility towards, therefore I labor to help with some of that, then you wouldn't have probably as many people that then expect the government to do it. And there's no labor as part of that. The government isn't laboring to pay for those people. The government's sitting on their idle hands, taken from the people that are working, and then give... Anyways, okay. I could get into that. All I'm saying is that they're, they're, Solomon is, is sharing a principle that the motive of laboring ought to be a motive of providing. You ought to have a motive to labor to provide. Provide for myself, provide for my needs, provide for my family, provide for my church, provide for those around me that have need, that God blesses me, that I can help with that need. That's why I ought to labor. And then in Proverbs chapter 23, verse number 4, he says, Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. He says, hey, labor not to be rich. That's kind of a negative motive of, I'm only going to labor because of money or because of riches, because of gain. He says, don't let that be your only, don't, don't let that be your motive. <clears throat> Motives matter. So, does everybody have the blanks filled out? So, what, is, what does it say in the blanks? One, two, three. <laughs> that was really complicated, wasn't it? It was really complicated. And then what's the reference? Chapter what? Three. I couldn't get the verse in here because I ran out of numbers. Okay? So turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 real quick. And we're wrapping up here this morning within just the next couple minutes. We started this last week looking at Ecclesiastes 2 where, where Solomon reflected on his labor and how he put his labor as really almost like a god. It was, almost a, it was a priority more than God to him. 
I sought after all my labors that my hands could do, and I sought after my own prosperity. I sought after this. And, and he said at one point, I hated life. It, it was like just focusing on his labor, just focusing on what he could accomplish was bringing him misery. But then later in chapter 2, he says, but then I realized that it was, it was from the hand of God. God is the one that gave me labor. Then you get to chapter 3, and I'm not going to sit here and teach all of chapter 3, but if you study chapter 3, chapter 3 is really, it's as if Solomon in this chapter reflects ultimately on the sovereignty of God. And he begins to acknowledge that, look, it, there's all these seasons of life that are going to happen. Who controls it? God does. There's all these outcomes that could come from it. Who controls it? God does. Can I, he even uses like a phrase of, um, you know, can I, can I put anything to it? Can I, uh, can I change it at all? He says God, has, he makes everything beautiful in his time. He sets the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh, verse number 11. So he's, he's just, it's almost as if Solomon says, look, I don't get to control all the seasons of my life, all the labors that are before me. I don't get to control all of that stuff. He, he's, he's recognizing that God is sovereign over all these things that get put in his life. And then look at what he says in verse number 12 and 13. He says, I know that there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. I think what Solomon ultimately is doing is he's recognizing, okay, God is sovereign over everything. And God wants there to be good from the labor of our hands. It's, it's, it's his gift is to give us work and to give us labor. And so why not rejoice in it? Why not find blessing in it? Why not uh, do good in life? Uh, whatever God puts ahead of us, we can't change. But why not find good in it and labor in it? It is the gift of God. Why? At the end of 14, he says that men should fear before him. Why? Because it should cause us to acknowledge God more and to reverence God more and to be more in awe of God as we labor and we see his hand in our labor and we see his hand guiding us in our labor, it ought to cause us to fear him more. And so God blesses work. God, God, God gives us work as a, 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 as a blessing and, um, and wants to bless us in the work that he puts before us. The last question that I'll just give you here the facets of our life to produce hard work. And I'm just going to give you some practical places as we think about where do I labor? Here are some places that we ought to be laboring. And we ought to be diligent laborers. And I've said these throughout the lesson this morning. So these, we won't spend a lot of time on these. But uh, first of all, in all things, right? Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as the Lord, not unto men, Colossians 3 says. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so everything I do, I ought to have diligence to it. I ought to, I ought to seek to do the very best I can in whatever I do. Providing for your family, your vocation. Where should I produce hard work? I ought to do it in the, in the labor of my vocation. You know, I ought to be considered the person at work that is the hardest working person. That ought to be my character. That ought to be the integrity. That ought to be the, the reputation that we talked about a couple weeks ago. That ought to be what people would say, hey, that person's a hard worker. Again, not for my glory, for God's glory. He says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. 
In 1 Timothy he says, But if any man not provide not for his own, especially those of, the house, of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Hey, you ought to be out there laboring to provide for your house. Here's another area, raising your children. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child. The word train is a very active word, and it's an ongoing word. It means that it requires some effort. We ought to be putting effort into our kids, and I'll just say, it, it, it obviously is not easy. It is easy to become slack with raising kids. Just, all right, there's the television. This is my bedroom. I'm shutting my door. See you later. <laughs> like, uh, and I'm not saying that there's not times to actually do that. You know, there's, there's times to have probably some separation and to have some uh, alone time or you and your spouse or whatever it might be. But what I'm saying is that it, it can tend to be easy to find those things that we know will make our kids happy so that it's less conflict or less to have to deal with or less to have to train. And I find myself sometimes I'm like, why did I just do that with my kids? Did I do that because I knew that they would, it would require some training of me if we did that activity and it was just easier if I just go and do it without them? Or, and I have to ask, like, what was my motive? Because I ought to have a desire that I'm constantly trying to train my kids. And I have to put work into it. I have to put labor into it. I don't want to be slothful in, in raising my kids. Here's another one. Sharing the gospel. What's your labor like in sharing the gospel? How much work, effort? Are you slothful when it comes to sharing the gospel? I started thinking about these different uh, things that we looked at in the book of Proverbs, and I thought, boy, how many wasted resources have there been when I've had opportunities to share the gospel? How many times have I overslept? when I had an opportunity to talk to someone about the gospel and I slept right through that because I was lazy instead of being ready and being diligent to share the gospel. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The word go is, hey, get out there. How about in prayer? How much work and labor do we put into prayer? Pray without ceasing. And then here's a, the last one here, serving the Lord. Romans 12, 11, he says this, not slothful in business, Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. How fervent are we uh, to be active serving the Lord, to be active doing what God would desire in this church or, again, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in our homes, serving God, serving the Lord. How much work do we put into that? How much work do we put into finding the right kind of music for our home? How much work do we put into finding the right entertainment? It's easy to find entertainment. It's easy to find music. It's easy to find things that will make your kids happy, at least for the time being, or your home happy, or whatever it might be. But it does require work if it's going to be godly, and it's going to be to serve the Lord, and it's going to be pleasing to the Lord. It will take some work. So these are just some thoughts. You can, again, kind of do like a checklist like we have the last couple lessons of where am I at in these? How fervent am I? How, much, how diligent am I? And these different areas of my life that, that I have to put effort into, I have to work. And what's the labor that I'm uh, putting into these different uh, avenues? And if there's some softness or uh, uh, lazy tendencies or we're being idle in some of these, we ought to say, Lord, help me. Confess that and say, Lord, I want to be diligent in these areas. And there's more we could put up there. I'm sure there's more you could think of. But these were just some that came to mind. But Lord, we want to be diligent, hardworking people. Amen?